0: morgan tv i'm bruce kasman and with me this week is joe Upton. it's been a while joe since you and i've done this together
1: it's been a while it's good to be back here and see you in your lovely uh, apartment there
0: <laughs> okay no no further comments on that please let's let's get going here um, all
1: dressed up too <laughs> okay.
0: there you go We've had a kind of an interesting transition in the last few weeks, it seems, and you know this is really the, I think, the thing we want to focus on. Uh, we still have obviously significant pressures from inflation in Europe, um, but in the countries outside of Europe where the natural gas price pass through is still intense, what we seem to be seeing is some significant moderation in headline inflation coming through. But that moderation isn't translating into easier central banks. In fact, central banks are getting, if anything, more aggressive. So I think the question as we think about the outlook is, how do we think about uh, the impulses on growth as we're swinging from a a, a world in which some of those supply shocks, and we should recognize also what's happening in terms of the pandemic-related supply stuff as well, that stuff looks to be fading, but the financial conditions tightening looks to be intensifying. So, I know this is not an easy one, Joe, but how how do you put it together in your thinking about where the world is 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 moving as we go through um the end of the third quarter into the fourth
1: well, I think it, it up until about a a week or yeah i guess a week ago uh it felt like a clean but still concerning story of a of a shift as you you pointed out some type of supply related shock and the risks around a recession there to Uh, A sense that central banks may be forced into slamming on the brakes a lot harder, and that would drive a more traditional kind of central bank-induced recession. We called that the difference between a door one or a door two-type scenarios, uh, as we laid out in the Global Data Watch last week. I think that the, maybe the, the somewhat complicating factor here in th- that we're seeing is that door two can have some kind of pernicious type outcomes. And of course, what we're seeing in the UK, while well, I think is, is is idiosyncratic to the UK, and we can talk about that. But I think it's a reminder that there are some stress points and they can pop up in ways that maybe aren't as as clear cut of a central bank just pulling the punch bowl away as the party gets going. I think we still feel like with inflation running hot and continuing to surprise to the upside as it did in the Euro area as it did in the US this week and uh, as it did in Poland uh, this week, that it's leading to more central bank tightening. That's a clear story, and I, I think we continue to pound the table on that, that more, not only does more need to get done, but probably more than what's in our forecast, at least that's from our the global team of you and me here. But uh, but I, again, I, I think it could be bumpy and it could come in ways that uh, things we aren't expecting, like the, the kind of turmoil that came about this week in the UK.
0: Right. Well, let's maybe talk about that, because I think it is a important storyline. Um, there's a specific set of issues on the UK, but let's stay somewhat global here and ask the question, is the uh, problems of the UK something we should think is going to either be extrapolated elsewhere or spill over elsewhere in terms of uh, financial stress?
1: I, 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 you know, we can obviously be wrong, but uh, uh, I don't think so. (laughs) That's a a rare sense of humility, is that it? Glad glad you recognize that. That's good. (laughs) You want to go back and play the tape on that. Um, Yes, we we can be wrong here. Uh, But I actually, you know, my sense is, and as I wrote about in the Daily this week, I I think the the read-through... To the to Europe or you know even to the rest of the world, I think should be faded. Uh, and I think when you think of these types of you know, aftershocks, after deep downturns, and we think of shocks like the European sovereign credit crisis or the kind of EM credit crunch that happened shortly thereafter, Um, those are things that are related to kind of macro imbalances and, and a point that we've been making quite strongly since the beginning of the year, some of the things that have been allowing the global economy to maintain resilience against the inflation surge has been the health of the the kind of macro backdrop, health of balance sheets in the private sector and the household sector and the corporate sector. Um, I think what you're seeing in the UK is that, you know, the public sector is there and when you're a small open economy, even being a, you know, a world reserve currency is not necessarily a protection if you're going to be somewhat, um, you know, I guess, frankly, cavalier with your your fiscal policies and and roll things out in a pretty haphazard way, the way the the current the new UK government did. So I, I would say it's idiosyncratic to the UK. It's uh, it's a reminder that public sector balance sheets are very elevated but i i don't view that as indicative of the type of stress that would roll out indeed i think the movement up in you haven't really seen it spill out elsewhere in in financial conditions too much other than equities i suppose to some extent you could say yeah i mean i would i would actually be a little stronger even in the sense that
0: there there is in the context of the way we tell the story that some of the um big health on the private sector side does reflect the deterioration in public sector balance sheets that's taken place since the pandemic. But, you know, if you look at the UK and you look at its budget deficit, which is running around 4% of GDP this year, if you look at its debt to GDP ratio, it's not out of line even when you put the the new package in with, uh, you know, the near-term path for the US or or most most other large economies. I think it is the signal about whether or not the UK, as what is probably best described as a small open economy that has a lot of, uh, you know, foreign claims on it, whether that economy can actually, you know, start doing things that are irresponsible.
1: In yeah, and frankly, you could add into that, Bruce, The I mean, the Brexit, the, the the original sin here was Brexit, right? And that at its root, I think, uh, you know maybe got glossed over because of the pandemic and then all of the the early expansion from the pandemic but what we're seeing now is the tide is kind of coming out people are being reminded that brexit was a was a pretty serious own goal that loss of a lot of potential loss of a lot of value-added industries and the idea of kind of rolling out unfunded fiscal deficits as far as the eye can see, um, might be a, a, a real challenge, and I think the market kind of gave its its view on uh, how credible that is.
0: Right, but I wanna I wanna kind of I guess pivot here a little bit um, in the in the sense that I think it's not as interesting to think about the UK in terms of its specifics as it is to think about the backdrop which you're, we're starting to see take hold here, which is central banks are moving uh, that is combining with the. A tightening in financial conditions to make, I think, us somewhat more vulnerable to pressure points in the financial space. And this, I think, is where we need to be sensitive to the idea that that's not stressed of any meaningful size, is not built into our near-term forecast, which still has um, a resilient private sector holding global growth up here through what the Fed's doing, what other central banks are doing. And I guess the question, which I'm having a hard time you know, grappling with is how worried should we be in this world where, as you described earlier, there is still quite a bit of health on the private sector side. I don't think this is a story about public sector balance sheets. It's about the interaction of the Fed and other central banks tightening and where there might be stress that we don't see in a world in which interest rates have moved up rapidly uh, the dollar is moving up very rapidly. Um, I think the, the, and some the risk, something could break here.
1: Well I, guess, I think is, the risk know. is actually you know staring us right in the face and it's it's actually the health of the private sector right I mean think of it this way the, the look at what we're forecasting for payrolls next week. We've been talking about a soft landing where payroll slows down to a hundred thousand. But the strength of this economy, the strength of the balance sheets—you know—an idea that with inflate, headline inflation coming down, that the consumer could really start to be moving here—that could require a lot more tightening to come, right? The Fed could find it's in a, in a position where, geez, it, it's hiked rates significantly. You've seen mortgage rates go up significantly. But it's just not taking enough steam out of the labor market, and therefore rates need to go up a lot more, so that could be the the kind of the stress point that's staring us at in the face
0: Yeah, and I think the interesting point there is the more that you put pressure from the Fed, the more you run the risk that something eventually breaks. But I think the word eventually here is be important because as you're saying, the more you also recognize that there's actually a healthy um, uh private sector that's not very interest sensitive and is not very dependent on credit the fact that this may take more time than you think in order to kind of get to that that breaking point and i think that's what we have to grapple with here recognizing as well that we've been um you know over past periods of time not not easily able to identify the timing of when the um link between tightening in financial conditions in terms of things like higher interest rates actually translate into something which is a genuine uh, point of stress here. Um, but let's let's try to keep that in mind and and maybe turn to one other topic which I think is 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 worth uh, highlighting here, um, which is where is inflation going to go next? And um, obviously, I think the u s. story gets very interesting here as as we you described a few minutes ago um we have high core inflation in august and we have every reason to think with labor markets tight and wage pressures continuing and there's some sense of salience in the process that there's going to continue to be uh uh elevated uh, uh core inflation but the pressure downward from the dollar from um uh commodity prices from some of the supply chain uh dynamics um uh fading here looks pretty significant so it, it feels to me like you're going to have some meaningful deceleration in uh inflation as we go through the next uh six months yeah the uh, question the
1: question it. is you know how how much right I I think as we've been saying to get from 10 percent down to five percent is going to be the easy part on inflation getting from five down to two is going to be the hard part I mean maybe what well, you're saying and I agree that gonna core do. goods inflation is going to come off Uh, and maybe getting from kind of five down to maybe even three and a half might be relatively easy, given at least for the U.S., given the dollar move and import prices. Uh, But getting down to two might be the the challenge. And then that's where it gets interesting for the Fed. Well, let's be careful here, Joe, because I think you you, when you say getting
0: from five down to two, I think you mean core inflation overall. Yeah. But you actually referred to core goods because I think it's quite reasonable to think core goods could turn flat here for the next three to six months oh yeah no
1: i'm saying that that move to flat will help pull you from five maybe down to three and a half fairly easily um but getting from three and a half down to two and the question will be is three and a half going to create significant debate within the FOMC among some of the more dovish members who, frankly, right now are just as hawkish as any of the hawks we've seen in the last two decades? I was going to ask who, who you right. want to put in that No, no, I right know. Now. But I think, uh, you know, as we as you know, we had that macro conference uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago. And I think Rosengren was was making a good point that things are going to get. Uh, Very, uh, very interesting as we get to a world where the labor market does moderate, where you see some lift in the unemployment rate and core inflation does come down and headline collapses, Uh, you know, that, you know, that board dynamic is going to change quite a bit in early next year, uh, making for a lot of potential volatility.
0: But I think this this is the point, and I think we'll have to end it here, is that while there is a trajectory uh on headline inflation and 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 core goods inflation that we can see downward that feels tangible at this point in fact the energy price part of it's already been in the data for a couple of months we don't have the tangible sense that payroll growth is getting anywhere close to the feds um um you know comfort level of having probably something like a hundred or a little less than that that you might get a a rise in the unemployment rate.
1: Yeah, now with so, 300,000 expected in next week's payroll report, right?
0: It will be interesting to test the Fed when it's seeing slowing job growth, when it's seeing slowing headline inflation and see how, how much their bite kind of connects to the bark that they have right now. But it, it very well may be the case that we don't see that in terms of the job side of it for a while, which means that they may be more reactive uh to uh current labor market conditions rather than what's in the pipeline and that's that's worrisome from the point of view of how these lags uh will you know have their impact and maybe create an overshoot we'll
1: I mean the one thing outcome. that I, I I know you said you want to wrap it up but I mean I, I always push you a little bit on. you don't that. want to wrap it up <laughs> it I always push you a little bit on this to, to kind of probe your views I think it's interesting to consider a world in which you actually do see inflation coming down. Let's say you're you're either at 3 or convinced you're going to fall below 3 and you you have got all of that and you feel good, but labor markets are tight and wages are rising. Is it, I, there's a part of me that feels like there used to be a Fed that cared about inclusivity and actually wanting to see the labor share come down. If it's getting that, does it feel the need to induce a recession to kind of take that away when you've got really your price remit and you're getting some labor share increase?
0: Well, I think there's two issues there, which is one, how is the Fed gonna read the forward-looking inflation outlook in the context of labor market conditions looking different than the profile they're seeing in momentum on inflation? And I think there still is a argument there that if you're a Fed that wants to give the economy a chance, you get to a certain level of rates and you just decide, hey, at some point, I've got to expect the the lags and the monetary transmission process to do a lot of the work. I think the deeper question, or or let me put it like this, the deeper concern I'm starting to have, listening to Powell, listening to um, uh, a number of other Fed speakers uh, this week, uh, and not this week, but in the last few weeks, is that they may be telling us that institutionally, they feel the risks of making a mistake here and causing a recession are far smaller than the risks of making a mistake and letting inflation stay high. Uh, it's not, you know, in some ways they may not be blamed if they create a recession when inflation is this high. Um, and in, se- in some sense, when I listen to people like Mary Daly, uh, a couple of other speakers, they seem to be almost coming back to a, what I think is a flawed, a logic that Uh, if you get inflation down, you've done your job, that there's not two objectives. There is a trade-off here between um, how quickly you create a recession, how much you do damage to the labor market, and how quickly you get inflation down. These are not things which are one-dimensional. And you can make a mistake by causing a recession and giving up growth, giving up uh, income gains that will have lasting effects on the economy. Obviously, the other risk we're well aware of and the Fed is screaming on that the risks, if you let inflation get embedded and stay high, it becomes more costly to go down. I just think these things need to be balanced in, against each other. And it feels like the Fed right now is talking as if it it only sees the risk of, of, of missing on inflation. And that might be bark, not bite. But you, as you're saying, and we'll end here, we don't think we're going to have that uh, test, uh, next week, because we think payroll growth is going to stay strong. So they're not really going to be tested as to their, their real underlying reaction function on that front. So with that, having gone on a lot longer than I thought we would, I think we'll end it there and thank everyone and hope to continue the
1: conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.